to see you this morning. If you have your bulletin, we'll encourage you to get out your sermon notes, and there'll be some blanks to fill in, so I encourage you uh, to do that, and also just make any additional notes that God gives you. Welcome those who are joining us by way of stream today, and so we're going to continue our series in the book of Hebrews, and one of the overall questions of the book of Hebrews is Jesus enough? Now again, I know if we're listening to this, we would say absolutely Jesus is enough. But sometimes when we're really up against it in life, sometimes is Jesus enough to really get us through every day? And the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage these readers, and again, they're facing some tough times. I mean, they're facing persecution, they're facing possible jail time, loss of job. I mean, they're really facing (laughs) some difficult days ahead. And so it would be easy to go back to Judaism because Judaism was an accepted religion by the Roman government. But Christianity at this point was outlawed. So it was going to cost them something. I think David's mic is still on. I still hear David talking. That's not good. That's not good. So hopefully he doesn't use the restroom right now. But anyway... Did I just say that out loud? Anyway, erase that thought, erase that thought. So anyway, that's what us staff do. We keep each other real. So they were kind of facing a fork in the road, the the readers. They obviously could go with Jesus or they could go back to live under the law. And the writer of Hebrews is just encouraging these Hebrew Christians, stay with Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus and don't go back. And so I entitled the book myself, Encouragement for the Journey. And really, going through the book of Hebrews many years ago has really changed my life because I would call almost everything Encouragement for the Journey because I think we all need encouragement. But the reason I get that is from the writer's own words in chapter 13, verse 22. Let's read together. I call on you, brothers and sisters, listen patiently to this message of exhortation and encouragement For I have written to you briefly. So he calls 13 chapters a brief note. But the reason I believe he does is he has so much to say about Jesus. He realizes he has more to say than what he can put down. So he calls it briefly. But he calls it a letter of encouragement. And we all need to be encouraged in life. And so again, I kind of visualize. Somebody said, where do you get these weird images, these weird pictures The truth is, I wake up sometimes two hours before the alarm clock goes off, and God starts giving me thoughts. I say, God, couldn't you wait till after I get up? He says, you're not doing anything now, are you? And so I I start getting all these, sometimes I have to get up and write them down. These are all new to this series, because I never had them before. But anyway, they were facing some difficult, turbulent times. In chapter 12, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Run the race. Chapter 11, he gives all these great men and women of faith who endured tough times, but they made it by keeping their faith in God. And so in essence, he's trying to tell them, don't go back. And there are times that we like to keep some bridges to go back, and sometimes that's good in life. But when it comes to Christianity, we need to burn all the bridges behind us. And so I think the writer's trying to say, burn all the bridges, only make it where you can go forward with Christ. And so if we could encourage other believers to not go back, but to keep walking with God, we all need 
that kind of encouragement. I mentioned last week, and one of the things God gave me in the middle of the night was this idea of a shadow. And it really has helped me personally understand the book of Hebrews in a deeper way. It may not mean anything to you, but just not a lot, and I'll think you're getting it, okay? But I woke up thinking about shadows, because the Bible says that all the Old Testament law was merely a shadow of Christ. And so it's really helped me. And so last week I went out, as I shared last week, and I asked Brenda, can I take a picture of your shadow? How many of you have ever taken a picture of your spouse's shadow? That's a, I'm, I'm the only weird one. All right. But anyway, it is, it is weird because you really don't need the shadow if you have the person. All right. But I took a picture of her, and this is uh, Brenda's shadow. It may not mean anything to you, but it means something to me. But again, anytime there's a shadow, you always know there's a person. This is really important. This is profound. Whenever there's a shadow, there's a substance. And all the Old Testament was merely a shadow of the Messiah, of Christ. And so you say, is it worth studying the Old Testament? Absolutely. I, I enjoy studying the Old Testament. But everything in the Old Testament is merely a shadow of Christ. But once you have Christ, why would you go back to the shadows? You don't need to go back to the shadows if you have Christ. It would be as weird that if I made my family photo with me in her shadow. How many of you think that would be weird if I had that up at our house? You can nod. That would be weird. That'd be weird. All right, you know, Brenda and I this year are celebrating our 38th year of marriage. She says it. Well, yeah, you clap for her. She's not here. How many of you know I'm not the easiest person to be married to? All right. But anyway, all the wives are going, yeah, yeah, I see that. But anyway, so let's say we go out for our 38th. We're going to go out somewhere nice. I go on a vacation with her shadow. How many of you think that would be weird? It'd save me some money. Save me some money. I don't think you have to buy an airline ticket for a shadow. But anyway, it would be very, very weird. But again, here's another profound thought. And again, these are simple things, but it will help you understand the book of Hebrews. Because if you have the substance, if you have the person, you automatically have the shadow. All right, let me say it again. If you have the substance, if you have the person, you automatically have their shadow. So once you have Christ, I just want you to know you have the shadow of the Old Testament. You don't have to go back and live under the Old Testament law if you have Christ. And so the writer's saying, why would you leave the substance of Christ and go back and live under the shadow of the law? But that's what they were tempted to do, all right? So we talked about last week that Jesus is superior to the law. That as good as the law is... And a lot of these Jews were leaving Christianity and going back and living under the law. But he's saying that Jesus, the substance, is greater than, superior to the law, which is a mere shadow. All right, and it says that in Hebrews 10.1. But understanding this will help you understand the book of Hebrews. So in chapter 10, verse 1, the writer says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, but not the very image, can never with these sacrifices make those who approach perfect. So he says the law is good. The law is not evil because the law is a shadow of the substance of Christ. So he says the law is merely a shadow pointing us one day to Christ. 
All the hundreds and the hundreds and the thousands of sacrifices in the Old Testament could never, ever take away the sin problem. But all of those sacrifices pointed one day, they were a shadow, that one day the Messiah would come and give the ultimate sacrifice for sin. But once you have Christ, why would you go back and live under the shadow? It doesn't make any sense at all. All right? And so... There's a couple times where Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. The law's not evil. I came to fulfill it. I am the substance of the shadow of the Old Testament is what he's saying. He says here in uh, Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill it. I am the substance of the shadow of the Old Testament. So I'm not doing away with it, I'm fulfilling it. That's really important. He also says in Luke 24, you remember when he was talking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were really confused about everything that had been going on. And he says this, All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. I am the substance of the shadow of the Old Testament. That word fulfill there, by the way, is a Greek word that means to complete, to accomplish, to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled every promise of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the law regarding sin. Jesus completed everything that the Old Testament said we needed to have a right relationship with God. He fulfilled it. I like how Paul says in Romans 10, 17, that love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, which is it? Is it love or is it Jesus? Yes. Because God is love. It's God's love. The, the verse we love to quote so much, for God so loved the world that he gave. So if you have Jesus, you have the love of God. You have the best that God has. And so again, the whole book of Hebrews is, don't leave the substance, don't leave Christ and go back to the shadows. Why would you? doesn't make any sense. By the way, if you want to tell your friends about our sermon series, put a picture of you and your spouse's shadow up on the mantle and see what people say. It'll give you a chance to tell them about Hebrews. And, and, the, and after they figure out you're not halfway crazy, all right? But anyway, so the law... Now, sometimes when we use the word law, it's referring to the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it's referring to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. So the law is not evil. The law is not bad. The law was part of the shadow that pointed us to the Messiah. And so here's how I visualize the law was part of the shadow. It's not bad. Where there's a shadow, you know there's a substance. And so the law always reminded us that we needed a Savior. So the law is good. And so Romans 7, 4, by the way, says we are dead to the law. Can I tell you that once you're saved, you don't have to go back and try to live under the law. You don't have, matter of fact, you can't. You say, should we try to live up to the law? Once you have Christ, you have the fulfillment of the law. You can never in a million years ever live up to God's standard in your own strength. But once you have Christ, understand you have the shadow. You have every promise of the Old Testament, every sacrifice that looked forward to the day of the Messiah. You have that in Christ. 
That's why Paul says, you're dead to the law, but you're married to Christ. He goes on to say in the book of Galatians, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. The law reminded us that we needed a Savior. But he says, once you come to Christ, you no longer need a tutor. And when it dawns on you what you have in Jesus, when it dawns on you that you have God's best right now, why would you want to go back to a system of do's and don'ts and all of these things of the Old Testament? Why would you go back to a system that never worked to begin with? But the law just reminded us that we need a Savior. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, now that you have Christ, don't go back and live under the shadow. And so there are many things about the law, about certain days and festivals. I love, by the way, whenever we have a, someone from one of the Jewish organizations come and talk about Jesus in the, in the Passover. How many of you have ever been to a presentation, Jesus in the Passover? Very powerful. Very powerful. And they will say about every detail of the Passover points to Jesus. And can I be honest that every single detail of every single feast in the Old Testament points to Jesus. But once you have Jesus, why would you go back to the shadow? You have the substance of everything God's ever wanted to give us in Jesus. How many of you noticed the scripture over here on the right that says you are complete in Christ? You know why Paul said that? Because you are complete in Christ. There is no plan B. There is nothing better. You literally, if you have Christ, you are complete. You have a right-standing relationship with God. But I'm not a big person on pictures of Jesus. If you know me, you know that. I don't have a lot of pictures of Jesus around. And I'm, not, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying I, I don't like them because I don't, I don't know that they're that accurate. This is one of the few pictures I kind of like because it's not a picture of Jesus when he walked this earth. It's more of a description of how John saw him on the island of Patmos. A sword coming out of his mouth, standing in the middle of seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches. He had the seven stars in his right hand. Can I tell you, we serve a God who is holy, holy, holy. We serve a God that's majestic. And sometimes when we think of Jesus, we only think of an earthly Jesus, and that's okay. It's okay to think of him. But I tell you, for the last 2,000 years, he's not walking around with long hair and a beard and just a nice complexion. He is the Shekinah glory of God. Even John, when he saw Jesus on the island of Patmos, had to fall at his feet. He was so blown away at the holiness of Jesus. You guys got me sidetracked. All right, here we go. So last week we talked about the first three verses of chapter 1, that Jesus is greater than the prophets. Because we can get so caught up in Moses and Aaron and all the prophets of the Old Testament, and I love to study them. But every prophet of the Old Testament, all they did was tell people about the coming Messiah. Their job as a shadow was to say one day there's coming a substance. One day there's coming a Messiah. And so they spoke for God, to the people, saying one day God's going to send the ultimate sacrifice. And so Jesus, the substance, is superior or greater than the prophets, which are merely a shadow. And so again, here's this picture. I picture the prophets as great as they were. They were just part of the shadow of the Old Testament. Every prophet pointed people ultimately to the Messiah. 
Every law, every part of the law pointed people that we need a Savior. Can you understand? The Old Testament is not evil. It's not bad. It's good. But it's a shadow that one day the Messiah was coming and the writer's saying, if you have the substance, if you have Christ, why in the world would you go back and live under the shadow? It doesn't make any sense. And yet I know some believers who sometimes after they get saved, they go back and they live on a performance-based system. Can I tell you, all the performance in the world won't make you accepted in God's sight. It's Jesus. You have a right-standing relationship with God if you have Jesus in your life. And so today, that was all introduction. That was a long runway, wasn't it, man? That's the longest runway I've ever heard, Pastor. We're ready to take off. Our flight's going to be short. But that was the runway. I, I, always like, I hate to, to not review, but today we're going to look at the last part of chapter 1 and then the first four verses of chapter 2. And then this Wednesday, we're going to finish chapter 2. I, I, I said, we got to do a chapter a day, a chapter a day. And you know who didn't do it from day one? Me. And I see what the writer's saying. There's so much to say about Jesus. How can you ever say it all? You can't. And the more you get into it, the more you know there is of God, and it just gets bigger and bigger. So Hebrews 1, verse 4. Last week we left off verse 3. So Jesus is greater than the angels. Chapter 1, verse 4 through chapter 2, the writer is saying, not only is he more superior to the law, more superior to the prophets, but he's more superior than the angels. If you don't get excited about Jesus, when we get done with Hebrews, your logs are wet. You need to get saved. And so he's saying here, the angels, as important as they were, and they had an important part in ministry in God all the way from the beginning, they too are just part of the shadow. The angels always pointed people to God's best. So let's read our text. I'm going to read the yellow you guys are going to read the white. The middle service, I reversed it. I had everything messed up. I'm going to read the yellow. You're going to read the white. But we're going to start. The last part of verse 3, which we ended with last week, says, Jesus purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 4 starts off with, Therefore, as a result of him purging our sins and sitting down at the right hand of high, therefore, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world... But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God... And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. They will perish, but you remain. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. 
But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? All right, so let's talk angels for a minute. How many of you have ever seen an angel? All right, several of you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, some have entertained angels unaware. You may have seen an angel and not know it. But I love to, I love to talk about angels. I mean, I love, I, we could do a whole series on angels. Let me give you some angel info right here, and these are some blanks you can fill in. Angels are mentioned 296 times in the Bible. From really, from the beginning all the way through Revelation. All right? They're in 34 different books of the Bible mentioned angels. By the way, 17 in the Old Testament, 17 in the New Testament mentioned angels. 11 times in Hebrews 1 and 2, the writer mentions angels because Jesus is superior to the angels. 76 times in the book of Revelation, angels are mentioned. So angels were used by God to minister his law and to minister to his children. So angels are very, very important, and we could get really excited about angels. All right? The word angel just literally means a messenger or one who is dispatched. That's what the word angel means, one who is a messenger. How many of you know, as I said, how many of you met an angel? Would you be surprised? Brenda sometimes refers to me as an angel. Now, at the 8 o'clock service, they all say, oh. She says, I'm always up in the air harping about something, and I never have an earthly thing to wear. I don't get it. So sometimes being called an angel may not always be good. Number two, of all the angels, there's only three that we know by name. That's kind of interesting. There's Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Whereas Lucifer was on the dark side. But only three are named by name. By the way, most pictures I've seen of angels are of a, a woman's face with wings. Or maybe a little child with wings, which, oh, I like that. Never go wrong there. But can I tell you, I'm just, I'm just kind of being up front. Every, every mention of an angel in the Bible, if there is a gender connected, it's always male. And you can check that out. Now, I don't know if there's any significance to that. I don't think there is any significance. But I'm just telling you that in the Bible, they're all mentioned as male. They're created beings. Uh, number three there, angels are powerful. The Bible says in Kings there that in one night, an angel killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. How many of you would like to have them as your backup? Yeah, they could work security anytime. 185,000. The number of angels cannot be numbered. The Bible says in Hebrews there's an innumerable number of angels. So we really don't know. I actually came across somebody that had an exact number for the angels. That's dumb. Anyway, I couldn't prove him wrong, because we don't know. We do know in Revelation when John says, I saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So if my math is correct, 10,000 times 10,000 would be 100 million. 100 million plus thousands of thousands. John saw so many angels, you couldn't even count them. One angel killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. Can I just tell you, can you see how it would be cool to get into studying angels? 
But the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is superior to the angels. Number five here, the law was given through angels to Moses. Now, if you read in Exodus 20, it doesn't mention angels. But the New Testament tells us in three places that it was angels that God used to give the law to Moses. Here in Galatians, it says God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. So God used angels. Angels are used as messengers to minister to God's children. Some people say we have a guardian angel. There's maybe a scripture too for that. If I have a guardian angel, how many of you know he's busy? Yeah, he's really busy. All right. So here's what God said of the angels. Why is, God, why is Jesus more superior to the angels? The writer of Hebrews quotes God. How many of you think quoting God's a pretty good source? Pretty good source. So it says here, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Not one angel did God ever call son. But Jesus. He goes on to say this, To the angels, God says, let all the angels worship him. Now you say, well, we're only supposed to worship God. Right. That's why God the Father said to the angels, you worship God. You worship Jesus. I tell you, even in the book of Revelations, John got so caught up, I think it was in chapter 19, he got so caught up at the marriage supper of the Lamb that he fell at the feet of the angel to worship the angel. And the angel said, do not do that. We worship God. So God the Father says to this innumerable number of angels, you to worship Jesus, because he is God. And to the Son, God says this. God the Father says to God the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father called God the Son, God. How can God the Father call God the Son, God? Because he is God. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was God in the flesh. As Gabriel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. Can you imagine the Shekinah glory of God loving us so much that he was willing to come take on an earth suit and go through all the hell we put him through and to die on the cross just so you and I could have heaven with him? It's no wonder that we're going to fall on our face maybe for hundreds of years, and worship Him. To think that the Shekinah glory of God would love us that much. Crazy. So God the Father calls, says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then He says to the Son, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of Your hand. Again, He calls the Son, Lord. He says to the Son, you created everything from the foundation of the world. Now you say, I thought God created everything. He did. But God the Father said to the Son, you, Lord, have created everything. Can you see why that once you come to Christ, why would you ever go back to anything else? And so all throughout the book of Hebrews, he's trying to say Jesus is superior. Jesus is the substance. Everything in the Old Testament was just merely a shadow pointing us 
to Jesus. So Hebrews 2. We're finally in Hebrews 2. We're going to do the first four verses this morning. We're going to finish it on Wednesday night, all right? First four verses of Hebrews 2. As a result of what he just said about him being superior to the angels, he's telling a man, hang on to what I'm telling you. Hold on to the truth of God and not drift away from it. So I'm going to read the yellow. You guys read the white. Here we go. First four verses, Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders. So he says, if God's law proves steadfast that was given through angels, how much more is the message of Jesus, how much more do we need to hold on to that? I love how the Amplified Bible says, Hebrews 2.1, For this reason, that is because God's final revelation is His Son Jesus, and because of Jesus' superiority to the angels, we must pay closer attention than ever to the things we have heard, so that we do not in any way drift away from truth. Let me tell you one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life. It's not going to bed on fire with, for Jesus and waking up backslidden. That'll never happen. But I tell you, the danger is drifting. Drifting happens so slow, you don't even notice you're drifting away. But then all of a sudden, you wake up one day and say, where's the passion? I used to be so passionate about Jesus. Where did that, where did that passion go? What happens is Satan knows that if he just gets you to drift a little bit day by day, he can get you drifted away from the truth. So the writer says, man, we got to really take this serious. And so I like to picture it. I woke up one night with this picture. Jesus standing on the rock on the Word of God. Can I tell you, some translations almost make it sound like it's the Word that drifts slowly by us and we need to hang on. That's not what it's saying. God's Word is a foundation. God's Word is sure. God's Word is not going to move. If we've gone distant from God, guess who moved? It's us. God's Word is a solid foundation. And so when you think about all these people who are kind of drifting away from God, here's how it might look. We all just slowly, and I could make it a lot slower than that, but we just slowly drift away from God. How many of you know even the pastor backslid a little bit? He, he drifted off. You say, how do we hold on? We've got to be anchored to God's Word. But I want to tell you, as we go through the book of Hebrews, it's not what I say, it's what God says. And when you understand who Jesus is and that you have the substance, you have the very best that God has because you got God himself. There is nothing better in the Christian life. I mean, you ultimately, when you discover that you have Almighty God living inside of you, it'll change how you live. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are looking for meaning and purpose in life. And somehow they think that if they can do something or get more involved or, or perform, that somehow they'll find that purpose. Can I tell you, when you discover you have the purpose of God, if you have Christ living in you, it'll change how you live.
I wake up some mornings and I just, I'm just overwhelmed that God loves me. I'm overwhelmed that Jesus, God, would take on an earth suit and die for me. I'm overwhelmed that when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he sent his spirit, his own spirit he sent to live inside of us. I mean, that is crazy. That is so crazy that God would love us enough to allow his spirit that knows everything about him to come and live inside of us so that we can know everything about him. No wonder David said in the Psalms, he looked forward, he says, I can't even believe that one day there's coming a time that people will no longer have to make sacrifice for sin that they'll have a right-standing relationship with God, and that God will never impute sin in their account ever again. I'm telling you, what we're living, the Old Testament saints would have loved to experience one day what you and I experience every day. Under the shadow, under the law, only the high priest could go into the presence of God. But every day, because our sins were taken care of, and we have a right-standing relationship, in the book of Hebrews it says we have a high priest that we can go boldly to God every day. Because your sins have been taken care of, and you have a right-standing relationship with God. I'm praying. I shouldn't pray this. I'm praying, God, wake him up a couple hours early and talk to him. But if you can't sleep, don't get mad at me. Listen to God. We have an amazing God. You know, when we get to chapter 3, guess what we're going to talk about? Jesus. We get to chapter 11, we're going to talk about Jesus. It's really Jesus all the way through the book of Hebrews. The writer is hammering home, don't go back. Don't go back. Find out what you have and enjoy your relationship with God. So this Wednesday, we're going to finish chapter 2. Chapter 2 finishes by him still talking about the superiority of Jesus over the angels. On the back of your notes, there's some, as we go into chapter 3 next week, just a little time to meditate on that. And I've said the last couple weeks, I, I never say this, but I say it in the book of Hebrews. As many times as I've been through Hebrews, I just want to tell you guys, God has done something in my heart. He's helped me make a connection between Jesus and the Old Covenant. He's helped me to see the shadow of the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. I just wake up every day and say, God, I, I know there's nothing greater. You've given me yourself. Help me to experience you as I walk through my day. I want to encourage you guys, those who are watching by way of stream, and those who are here, get on our Facebook page, or, or you can get on YouTube, and, and just one, by one finger, you can be a part of sharing Jesus. Just get on there and hit share. You'll send it out. And it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. Wouldn't you love for everybody to hear that Jesus is the answer? It's not about being Baptist. It's not about being a part of the rich. When you discover that you have everything God has because you have God, there is nothing else. There's nothing better. Don't go back. Don't go back.
Keep your eyes on Jesus. He really is enough to get you through the craziness of life. Let's stand together. David's going to come. Our invitation hymn for the past couple weeks has been Jesus is the answer. If you're here today and maybe for the first time in your life, and again, I, I've had the privilege over the last couple of years of doing a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals. And it's amazing how many people will come to me if I don't know the family, and they'll come to me and tell me all the good things that this person has done in their life. And that's good. I'm okay with hearing that. But can I tell you the one thing that really matters? What did they do with Jesus? Because all the works in the world won't get you to heaven. All the law does is remind us that we can't live up to God's standard. And maybe today, for the first time, those of you who are here, maybe you're listening by way of stream. You just feel a tug in your heart, and today, I can't imagine living one day without Jesus. Can you? I mean, I can't imagine living one day just doing the best I can. So as we've done the last couple weeks, I'm just going to pray a prayer. I want everybody to pray it out loud. Maybe there's one person here today for the very first time will pray this and really mean business with God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I hope you'll share with somebody before you leave today. We'll just have just a moment of invitation, and if there's anyone here that just needs someone to pray with you or pray for you, we invite you to come. Or maybe you've been visiting, and this is where God is leading you to plug in, become a member. Let's all just sing together that great song from Andre Crouch back in the 70s. Jesus is the answer. And that really is the answer. So let's sing together. If you need to slip out and come, you come. Or just right where you are, let's proclaim to the world that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today.
close out with a song. Great that you're here. I'm looking forward to this journey through the book of Hebrews. And again, I know every book of the Bible changes your life when you go through it. And those of you who are teachers will know that when you're teaching something, you get way more out of it than what anybody in the class does. My life has really forever changed. I'm so thankful that God loves us so much. Let's pray. We'll close out with a song. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for, for your plan. And I pray that as we go through this journey in the book of Hebrews, that we'll know that Jesus is the answer. There is no plan B. So, Father, fill us with your spirit. Empower us to live for you. And I pray that your spirit would just spill out everywhere we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.